Welcome to, welcome to the last few twilight hours of April. What a month. Oh, it has been something indeed. <laughs> oh man, I'm Stephanie. I'm Elena. And this is Bet You Wish This Was an Art Podcast. Welcome. Yay. <laughs> Episode Yay. 10. Yes. Oh my God. <laughs> Look at how far we've come, man. You'd think we'd learn by now. You'd think. We still don't have an outro. We don't. Uh, there will not be an intro. We're just going to cut no. the podcast off halfway through this episode. You're going to have yep. to figure out. You're going to have to You're gonna have to guess what was going to come next. That's the cliffhanger. The end? <laughs> the end. Wait, what happened? We'll we'll grab the crystal skull from the Temple of Doom, and then the movie will cut out. <laughs> yeah, we oh, live in I a mystery. Like, so what? We live in a mystery. We really do. Mm. I mean, every day is a gift and a horror novel. So you know. Yeah, fun. <laughs> <laughs> I. What I want to do is like. I so all I want I really wanted because like everything's closed right um yeah we really can't move forward with my thesis we really can't do anything like uni related I can't really do anything work related Mm. (laughs) Um, I I just want to be like one of those I want to what's the word I want to take like um, I want to take a retreat. I want to treat this like I'm mm-hmm. some professor on some sojourn doing research and reading and drawing. <laughs> I want to feel like a Victorian dandy and no one is letting me. <laughs> My own brain isn't letting me and I just don't know what to do about it. <laughs> oh, I can't help you with that, man. I'm in the same situation. <laughs> I just want to be... A French Parisian, like I want to be a Parisian man who has the summer to himself. <laughs> I see where you're going with this. <laughs> it's unintentionally the segue, but also like that's the vibe. This entire like doing this research, all I keep thinking about is like, fuck. All I want to do is sojourn into the woods and have people leave me alone. <laughs> <laughs> you could. I could, but uh, it's. This is the best time to do it. But who will sponsor me? Who will be my patron? Looks at audience. <laughs> I'm kidding. But wow. still, I just... <laughs> I would wear silk robes. I would smoke a pipe. Oh, my God. I have it envisioned, Elena, and no one can take this from me. 
<laughs> I mean, go for it. I'm supporting you. I hope I don't die from like third stage syphilis like our dear friend here will, but like <laughs> I'm ready. <laughs> Modern Let's medicine. Do it. Who? <laughs> who? What? What? We don't know that here in the woods. <laughs> Not here in the woods. Not here with my beautiful naked lady companions. Yes. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, we're talking about Edouard Manet today, and I'm Yay. so excited. <laughs> so am I. He's, oh my god. He's very, he's very I, cool. like, <laughs> I'm surprised we didn't start off with him, but I'm glad that we're reaching a milestone with him. Do you think, do you understand yeah. what I mean? Like, it's, it's a maturation of our relationship, and I <laughs> think we're ready for it. I think so too. We've moved in together and I'm <laughs> in love, I think. Oh. In love enough. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds about right. That sounds right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh my god. I love this asshole so much. Like he yeah. He's amazing. <laughs> Also problematic, but also amazing. Uh, there's so many artists from this period that I legitimately would go to war against and have gone <laughs> to war against, ridden on a horse like a crusade and declared my enemy. <laughs> but Manet, for all of his assholery and kind of his, like, <sighs> problematic nature, I, I appreciate him in a way that I can't appreciate others. I don't he love him certainly a like I love others, man. but yeah. 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 He's done a lot, that's it. He yeah. started something and Yeah, he was the first one to do it. Oh, yeah. Yes. In that in that specific moment of history. <laughs> I I relate to him in a certain capacity, especially over like his uh his his coordinated nonchalance because I cannot be chill to save my life but I want to pretend that I'm chill <laughs> and I feel like that encompasses Manet yeah sounds about right <laughs> <laughs> oh so, my good golly gosh <laughs> yeah so Manet yeah Edward Manet <laughs> um he was a painter a famous one from from a what very I've famous read. One. <laughs> you may have uh, heard of him. <laughs> <laughs> you may have. Not Monet. But if you haven't, that confusing. Yeah, it is confusing. Uh, Monet and Manet were friends, kind but of. they were not the same person. Allegedly. 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 <laughs> um. Yeah. So he was. Um. Basically, the well, the impressionists viewed him as their uh, like master, or more like as uh, the person who started everything and who made paved the way for uh, impressionism to to sweep the world away. Daddy Manet. Uh, yes, um, he is. Uh, he he's uh, well from the middle class, so he 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 had it very well in well, life. He was, he was proper bourgeois, I think, especially yeah. in yeah, Belle yeah. Epoque, that like 
that idealized time in French society where they're no longer fighting with each other or others. Yeah. You know, this is exactly. the mid to late eight, 19th century. We've yeah. we've already dealt with the French revolutions one, two, three, and four. We've mm-hmm. already dealt with uh with Napoleon being emperor and then the longer emperor and we're kind of back to like a stable we've we've dealt with the fires of Paris we've dealt with a whole bunch of stuff and now we're kind of at this resting point in French history where the arts and culture and science and business and capitalism and fr- <laughs> like frivol for fr- 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 frivolosity friv friv you got it. frivolity friv something. Uh, something fancy fancy bullshit can run <laughs> rampant yes and that's and... kind of where you know the sorry that's where you get no, like okay. the 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 call to action from the salon where it was like oh it's time to bring out the neoclassicists <laughs> right we reject your people's court and it's like okay but <laughs> you're still <laughs> chill and that's where you have chill David out, and that's where you have like all of these really masterful artists I can only think of da- like David right now sorry but like <laughs> you have all of these artists that are inspiring and working towards this idealized version of the past which was already an idealized version of the present. And so it's like, cool, we're celebrating these grand masters and we're celebrating these grand temples because we, turns out, we rediscovered the temples of ancient Greece. <laughs> so these were, you know, we somehow lost these in time and space. And <laughs> so we're inspired right and we're traveling and we're, we're trading, which was like, revolutionary because not only did you incorporate like this was also the time of blatant imperialism (laughs) in Mm. in modern europe where you had colonies all over the world the french had i mean the french were stationed just about anywhere and like the two that i think are the most important I, i guess the one that's the most important is vietnam or like the French stations in Asia or West Asia for or East Asia, for example, and um, mm. and that trading with Japan. Yeah. Cough, cough, Japanese, cough, cough. <laughs> and then like the other would be like North Africa and the Cote d'Ivoire or the Ivory Coast and Morocco and places like that. And it's like, okay, assholes, I see you <laughs> and I see what you're bringing. Because <laughs> and they it. that then inspires the avant-garde, the vanguard, these prissy self-imposed asshole artists who are like, oh, I see this and I see that it's better than what we're making. And fuck you, establishment. I'm going to be painting with thick black lines. <laughs> Honestly, though. And so, and so we see this evolution in French culture, French art, French everything. And, and that kind of then inspires 
what then follows. Um, and even, especially, especially in the middle class art, art like art field, um, mm-hmm. all of these predominantly men, but a lot of women artists that I think we're going to have to like cover at great depths because of the fact that like art history and unfortunately us right now kind of talk over all of the female uh, avant-garde artists and that just has to do with collections and museums and sexism and all this other fun stuff um you know the basics the basics we've we've talked about this oh why are there no great women artists (laughs) check it out but (laughs) (laughs) yeah um but that's kind of the world that Manet was born into yeah and he was born into um a family which was already working for the government the man yes uh his father was the chief of personnel at the ministry of justice and um they wanted uh, manet their son to be a lawyer Mm-hmm. Like all good parents, doctor, yep. lawyer, <laughs> engineer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But Manet, he was not a great pupil at school. He didn't really care for being a lawyer. He wanted to be a painter, mm-hmm. but his parents didn't want that. So they came up with a compromise that was he would go to the Naval College. Um, and he tried to, he applied twice and he failed both of the times. Yep. Yep. Um, and his parents were like, fine, fine. You can go (laughs) and be a painter. And so he did. Um, he basically entered studio of this one classical painter called Thomas, uh, Thomas, Thomas Couture. Yes. Um, and <laughs> uh, their styles were completely different, but uh, he worked with him for six years and he learned all of the basics and uh, basically uh, started to uh, come into his own shoes. Is that a saying? <laughs> mm-hmm. I feel like I mix- mixed that up somehow. But anyways, um, he... <laughs> He uh, then, after six years, made his own studio with a friend of his and then another one. And he made trips to different countries like Italy and Netherlands and Germany. And he also uh, copied paintings at the Louvre, uh, paintings of Titian and Velasquez, who were both quite big inspirations for him. Uh, same goes for Goya was his inspiration. God, I love he like, yeah. At one point, he visited the Netherlands and uh, f- fell in love with Franz Hals. Uh-huh. And As his we all work. do at some point in our art historical career. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Fuck, this Dutch art is great. <laughs> it it be it be. Um, he was very interested in in uh, in the nude mm-hmm. and in his own words uh the f- it was the first and last word in art uh 
The boy just wanted you... to look at tits. Yeah, he did. <laughs> he was a thor- thirsty boy. He, I mean, on- <laughs> honestly, though. And I mean, nude same, but still, come on. Yeah. Um, other people he has whose work he admired was Corbet, who was uh, working at the same at the same time as he was. Mm-hmm. They, yeah, uh, as well as Delacroix. Um, who actually said when when the critics were were of course the critics were saying bad things about Manet's pen one of no. Manet's paintings. Delacroix the said that like Manet, they did not. Whoa, I want to <laughs> mind <laughs> blown. <laughs> uh, yeah, Delacroix said that he regretted. Uh, being unable to come to this uh, man's de- defense. And yeah, Manet later attended his funeral and he respected the man highly. But, I mean, like, even for... So so he spent all these years studying and apprenticing and working and collaborating and mainly, like, finding inspiration in artists whose style he won't emulate like he never really tries to copy anybody but himself but he's inspired by so many different styles and that's why when you look at his like his entire body of work you can tell like that he was deeply inspired and deeply influenced by so many of the contemporary and like earlier great masters of the century he's a very modern man in that like in that concept where his inspirations weren't necessarily the Greeks and Romans, like his contemporaries of the Salon or of the Academy were trying to like emulate and be like, oh my God, Greek sculpture. Oh my God, Apollo. No, he was looking at artists who were working in the 18th, 19th century and really trying to see what the modern like aspects of that were. And then he was taking those aspects and transforming them into his own works. For example, the first work that he exhibited at the Salon in 1861 was the Spanish singer, um, Hmm. whose work is rough and sketchy and kind of like that um, very characteristic halls, sketchy, the atmospheric look to it where you're kind of seeing really blurred lines but that's what but it was of a spanish guitarist at a um at a bullfight which was the most prevalent form of spanish entertainment at the time that was the spectacle of spanish society and so he's painting a contemporary subject of course his other contemporary subject the absinthe drinker (laughs) was rejected from the salon the same year. But he's painting people that he sees and that he works with and that he experiences. And that is something that I think is where he's given the title of, like, the father of Impressionism or one of the founders of the vanguard. But I don't don't necessarily, like, yes, obviously he's an avant-garde artist and obviously, like, he he is a a 
cornerstone of this art movement, but I don't think he was trying to be impressionistic. No, I, think I don't think so either. I think he wanted that attitude of nonchalance and that mm. I don't give a fuck attitude and that, yeah, here's a couple of fun lines. What of it, Academy? <laughs> but, like, yeah, if you look into his work from um from like an art analysis perspective or if you really get sciencey with it and you look at his works under x-ray the man put a lot of work and a lot of effort into his paintings he, there were so many underdrawings and there were so many removed layers and there were so many revisions and so many like <laughs> fine details that like you could tell that everything he did was so intentional to the point where it didn't look intentional. <laughs> and that is a man <laughs> that I can relate to. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. He, um, uh, he, yeah. <laughs> the, the thing is, um, his work now that you look at it from today's perspective uh, may not look like anything uh or well we know that he's special so to us he's special yes um but it, it looks like something you have seen before of course mm -hmm. like n nothing nothing so bizarre or so scandalous as it seemed to the people who were uh, existing at the same time as him, who were viewing these paintings as they were made. Uh, the thing is that he deviated from what the Academy thought was perfect, quote-unquote, yep. um, and this caused an uproar in the critics and in the uh, audience, which was what what kind of made him this controversial artist at, at the time. Um, and his work even uh, uh, was not appreciated that much up until the last moments of his life and especially after his death, uh, where exhibitions about him were held right after he died. And then he started to gain a bit more popularity and a bit more acceptance from his contemporaries. Um, but even still, it didn't, it, he wasn't that uh, famous as he is today to the modern world. <laughs> well, no one alive uh, ever is during their time. <laughs> yeah. But he started being uh, more v viewed and more studied in the 20th century when art critics realized the, um, the, the influence he had on the future painters and the impressionists and uh, on the development of the avant-garde and the mo modernism later. Um, so, yeah, he was quite controversial at his time <laughs> to say the and least. we will go into two of his paintings that were mo the most controversial in, in further detail um and yeah we'll try to explain how and why they saw him as so scandalous when to us he's just a he's just a good artist <laughs> 
Should we start with the one that was accepted to the salon or the one that was in the ref, like the the refusé salon? Uh, let's start with the refusé one because that was uh, made first, if I'm yeah. not mistaken. Yes. Question mark. Um, yeah, it was painted in 1863. Oh, then, yep. uh, All right, let's do yeah. this. Oh, the, so the same year that he marries his wife. Yeah, exactly. Yes. There was a, a Madame Manet. <laughs> yes, there was. Wild. And they had a about. child out of wedlock. Scandalous. As if yep. this man wasn't already a nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> they so, did and uh, they did marry right after she had the baby, so. I've I've heard of these shotgun weddings before. <laughs> Manets. Dejeuner célèbre. Or, as he knew it as, Le Bain. The bath. Translates to uh, luncheon on the grass. Oh, a picnic. Yeah. <laughs> Basically. <laughs> so, for all of us who have studied, uh, have done an art history class, this is probably like one of the two famous Manet paintings you'll ever, uh, like, of his collection, maybe like the first or second Manet piece you'll be introduced to. Because yeah. for the most part, this is like the most uh, arresting of his pieces. Uh, and not necessarily for us as the consumers of thirst traps in general daily life, but like <laughs> for for late 18th, 19th century audiences. This was the worst thing you could put in front of them. <laughs> this was this so was King K breaking the internet. This was <laughs> equivalent, yes. I think so. One might say. I think so. Um, this is the this was a work that was originally rejected from the salon, right? Um, because they took one look at it and said, "No way in hell." But in the same year, Napoleon III uh, created this other Salon de Refus, like the Salon de Refusés, which is like roughly translates to the the rejected Salon, essentially. Basically. Yeah. Like a, a place where all the art that wasn't allowed in the actual show to be there, like a, like a participatory trophy kind of exhibition. <laughs> and so... Yep. This work was created, uh, was placed into that, and uh... <laughs> even there it costs chaos. So much scandal for anyone who hasn't immediately gone to Google it at this point. Um, <laughs> it's it's a it's a traditional landscape scene of four figures, kind of hanging out and kind of just having these discussions question mark but uh <laughs> but instead of like this being an allegory to to old style old timey neoclassical subjects who are being graced by the presence of the muses those uh, those goddesses that kind of like inspired arts and culture and all that other it's it's two dudes fully dressed hanging out with two naked women 
Oh, one naked and one half-dressed. Oh, it's just as bad. <laughs> one super tall woman in the back, one very aggressive naked woman in the front, and two dudes definitely high on something, just talking shit. Um, the critics were horrified. <laughs> How dare many do such thing? How dare this naked woman? Be dressed in front of two young men <laughs> and two contemporarily dressed men for that mo- yeah. for that sake. <laughs> exactly. But uh, the problem they saw in this, because I mean, now if you think over like the past paintings, of course they've painted nudes before. It's not like the first nude anyone's ever seen no, on there's, canvas. Uh, there's that really famous. Um, is it a del- no? There's this one famous uh, Birth of Venus painting that is usually shown in conjunction with this, which is mm. full out, tits out, barely <laughs> covered Venus, just gently, gracefully exposing herself to the cupids, and yeah. to these to these little putti who just want to be there and be fat and chubby with her, and it's like, <laughs> oh my goodness, look at the celebration of the birth of this goddess. <laughs> This isn't pornography at all. <laughs> yep. Yep. No, no. But that is a nude, Elena. That was a nude. This is a naked uh, woman. It is. It that is a naked difference. woman, and it's a real woman, and that's what bothered people. Oh, my God. All of them are real people. That, I think, was also the most terrifying part about it, is that these are people that they recognized from contemporary society. These are people that I saw on the streets of Paris and they were like, holy shit, I know that guy. <gasps> what is he doing with a naked woman in the forest? <gasps> what kind of <Yeah>. debauchery? <laughs> um, there were two they? issues with this painting that I think critics took to. One was the fact that these were naked, like this naked woman was looking right at the audience. Horrifying, scandalous. But then <laughs> How also, dare she? a huge <laughs> and then the other was the the lighting and the color and the weirdness of this entire piece yeah the perspective is entirely off yep the colors where it should be light on um, in the front and darker as it goes in the back it's completely the opposite mm-hmm. i mean the, the landscape wise and this woman, who is obviously a real woman, who has like clothes discarded right next to her, she's not a, a naked goddess that was born like that <laughs> and came out of nowhere naked. Fully no, formed she's... <laughs> as the nude. Yeah, she's someone who uh, took off her dress and is, is just hanging out. Um... Girl, get it! <laughs> <laughs> and she is not... Uh like the coy coy nudes that we've seen before she's looking straight at us which is scandalous how dare she how dare she why is she looking at us <laughs> how how could what this she naked want? woman be making eye <laughs> contact with me and that's what it is where it's hung um it's at eye level with you yeah 
you have to look her in the eye because she is looking you in the eye. And it's like, oh, <laughs> shit. All right. Hi. <laughs> okay, lady. Hello. And imagine, imagine being confronted with that in an age where, like, showing ankles was scandalous. Exactly. Imagine. <laughs> exactly. Oh, my God. And it really could only well, happen. Like, a painting like this really was only appropriate in Paris at the time. Because of the fact that, like, they had all this um, this whimsical debauchery and it was kind of fun and loose and, I mean, super uptight and very riche. But, like, there was there was this attitude of, like, the, um, like, this is where cabaret dancers were coming from. And this is where, like, prostitution was legal and where all this other stuff was, like, totally reasonable. Now you're being confronted with a sex worker, maybe, question mark, who's looking you right in the eye. (laughs) And you have to be not only the art critic and the art consumer, which is already like a weird headspace to be in. Like if you've ever been in a museum or any kind of gallery, it's like, oh, all right, I have to know. I now have to put on my airs and I have to get very serious about what I'm looking at. And all of a sudden you're being confronted with a painting that is not serious at all. No. (laughs) And what are you supposed to do with that? You've never seen anything like this before. And the things that you have seen that are like this make you really like aren't supposed to make you upset. (laughs) Yeah. This painting makes you uncomfortable. Yeah. Uh, Not us, but them. But, but like, that's the thing, too, is that she's very, the, the contrast is super high in the sense that, like, she's basically all white yeah. on a very dark background. So you have yeah. no option but to look at her. And the more you look at her, the more you're like, what is going on? <laughs> why are we here what what is this fun party and can i get invited um yeah. and then you have the half-dressed woman in the water who's like technically the most nymphish of all of these people but even that's weird because she's too big for the mid-ground perspective and she looks like she's reaching for the front man's arm yeah if you look at it the thumbs, like if you really yeah. zoom in, we'll give you a minute to zoom in. If you really <laughs> zoom in, the thumbs are lined up. Yeah. Which then makes no sense because are they interacting or is dude bro one interacting with dude bro two who's, who's not, looking not looking at, looking at him? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we've all been there at a party, but like. <laughs> are these people friends? Do they even know each other? Is They're not like... <laughs> interacting. And there's What's nothing going on. In, there's nothing in the painting to suggest like a drunken revelry, which no. you could maybe try to like, uh, like parse from this. Be like those, those um, the genre painting, the um, the Dutch daily life scenes that depict debauchery. Anyways, mm. and maybe you can be like, oh, this is supposed to be an allegory for. Not being a drunk dude in the forest. No? Okay. Um, maybe this is an um, allegory for the muses. Nope, she's looking right at us, and that's a modern woman. Uh, maybe this... No. Still no, start it's, sweating. It's none of this. It's, it's exactly what it looks like, except it's not. And that's so yeah. much. 
And that's like, and then, and then that is what Manet is defined as. This like, uh, vulgar, this vulgar artist who's creating things that are harsh and upsetting and, oh man. (laughs) Yeah. This um, entire scene is actually inspired, well, at least the three people in the front is inspired by Raphael's um, judgment of Paris engraving. And yes. in, the, in the corner of that engraving is uh, two river gods with a nymph. And he took that as inspiration to make this or like the, the composition of how everything is posed. Um, and he made it into something his own which uh, we will see later on with the Olympia, that he takes um, inspiration from other artists and then creates something so scandalous and so provoking. The Raphael and Titian pieces that I think are supposed to be the ones that inspired this painting on the Instagram, just so you can like see it side by side. Because the Judgment of Paris is like this wild engraving with so much going on and then you have to like zoom into this bottom right corner and you're like oh wait a second i've seen that pose before i know (laughs) what this is (laughs) but that was three naked folk hanging out rather than it was it's just it's so cool and it's so scandalous and i love it and this is like this is the true fuck you to the establishment um which manet is like known for and and it kind of comes back to the intentionality of it all, right? Like, in in one quick, and I mean, we'll harp on this for forever, but I think, like, you're supposed to look at this painting and feel like he did it in one go. Um, yeah. Lines are rushed and fluffy and the perspective is wrong and the bodies are awkward and the eyes are dead except for the woman who's looking at you and it's all of these things that are supposed to be like 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 how you would look at a painting or a post on social media right now where you just look at it and you keep scrolling and it doesn't really matter the detail you put into it it's supposed to be quick but that is so against the concept of like this is even going beyond the painterly style which is already a little rough around the edges which artists like Rembrandt did towards the Mm -hmm. end of their lives where it's like oh yeah that that soft edge and the you can see the painterly strokes no you're not supposed to see any of that how dare you (laughs) and then that's no it looks unfinished that's that's the big thing is that what is Manet doing submitting work that's unfinished why would he do something like this to our sensible French audience (laughs) fuck you that's why (laughs) exactly and then you just you continue to see that in his works and it's part of the reason why like it's so enduring presently because Mm -hmm. it's like it's this marked distinction from like what was past and now what is present and what is modern and what is a rejection of old style neoclassical blah 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 it's it's the rejection of all that for the now the new the fresh the exciting the sexy (laughs) yeah 
he's trying to bring what he sees on a normal basis uh, into his art, which is completely fine if we look at it now. It's it's normal. I mean, you paint what you see, not some. Uh, I mean, some people also paint the different stuff, but uh, <laughs> you are inspired by your surroundings most of the time. And he took that inspiration, and he did not lie to you in telling that uh, these are some other creatures who he wants to represent. No, these are real people, even though the painting is uh, quite not perfect, symmetrically speaking, and it's quite flat and it looks two-dimensional, which is done on purpose. Mm -hmm. It's still what he sees and he it's 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 his expression and yeah it's I mean, so good <laughs> it's very good it's very good so the second painting that we're going to talk about uh which cost even a bigger bigger stir i don't know i feel like it's equal footing and it's especially considering like based off what you said of this being like the continuation, the the what he sees yeah. in real life. <laughs> true, true. <laughs> I mean, you could you could look at it that way. Yes, um, he created Olympia, uh, and he displayed it on, at the Salon in um, eighteen sixty five, mm -hmm. and all hell broke. And this was in the official Salon. <laughs> so if the other one is in like the refused the like the rejected pile <laughs> this is like this is the big yeah. leagues this is every artist's birthright <laughs> dream yeah so he shows up and all of a sudden mm. everyone everyone hated it or loved it or both mostly hated and at I mean, least the immediate audience. It's 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 a tough painting to be confronted with because, like, it's one thing to see a naked woman. It's another thing to see like a nude goddess. It's a totally <laughs> completely thing to like have said woman reclining, wearing shoes still, in bed, looking at you. How dare she! And like. The the word they use is confrontational. The confrontational gaze of Olympia. Yep. And that's cool. I think it's, I mean, but like, it's hard to look at in like an art history class. When that one comes up on the screen, you kind of feel like you flinch from it. Or at least, you know, and I am totally fine with it. But it's one of those pieces that even in contemporary audiences, even in like our classrooms it's very uncomfortable yeah it's like watching uh people make out in the movie with your parents around definitely you like, close your definitely, eyes and... <laughs> definitely sex scene in a classroom full of your contemporary peers it's exactly it's hard <laughs> and it's hardcore and it's like it's it wants you to view it like pornography but be confronted by it in an art historical context 
Yeah. And this is probably one of my favorite paintings in the world. <laughs> um, so. And, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you want to say something? I don't know. It's just, it's so much for me. It's such a good painting. So essentially, unlike, unlike um, the luncheon on the garden, mm. Olympia is a more intimate scene. Yeah. Um, if the luncheon is a casual get together where one person is looking at her, like is the one viewer, the viewers being looked at directly by um, the nude woman, Olympia, who now has a name, <laughs> is staring directly at you. And the worst slash best part about this is that depending on the viewer, you knew exactly who that was. Yes. Uh, while while it is subtle in um, the luncheon, and you might not notice it, this uh, both that one and Olympia are modeled by the same person. The nude, I'm talking about the nude. Um, mm -hmm. And it is Victorine Meurent. Uh, Meurent. And she uh, is also an artist. Uh, yes. At the time of Manet, and uh, she is actually quite successful. People know her name. People want to paint her. Um, I think Renoir also painted her. Uh, A couple of the artists at this time, because she's the striking redhead who yes. wants to like, you know, is is charming and is engaging and has that very serious resting face. Yeah. And, and she is quite successful because she was accepted at the salon when Manet wasn't. And yeah. she, yeah, yeah. which is ironic <laughs> if you think of it. Um, but yeah, she was quite, quite a successful artist. Um, and she modeled for different painters. And this painting, when you look at it, you recognize it because you know her as an artist and you you, you think like, well, this is a real woman. I've seen her before. And that shit. <laughs> is even weirder. Yeah. Because in the other one, you can kind of squint your eyes and be like, no, they're just, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but in this one, you have, you have no, you have no option. You, you can't you deny. You know who she is. Yes. <laughs> you know. So she cannot be a historical or even a mythological figure because no. you know who this is. Yeah, and exactly. Especially for anyone who would visit, like, a brothel. This is a very familiar scene in the sense that, like, it's a small room, intimate, a bed, and, like, a woman in, a ver in various stages of undress. Quite naked, to be honest. And very expecting and very patient while also being completely unfazed and unbothered by whomever you are. Yes. Like, yeah, okay, let's get off. Let's get on with it. <laughs> <laughs> and that is even like conservatives condemned this work as like immoral and vulgar that like the subject failed to properly elevate the woman's nudeness 
Like, <laughs> how dare you make her naked? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, okay. Um, uh, <laughs> and that's a scene just... we've seen before in many yeah. different varieties. Let's go back to Titian's Venus of Urbino. Exactly. Similar, similar almost exactly similar, where she's na- nude. Forgive me. She's nude and, <laughs> and looking at you with these coquettish eyes and she's flirting with you and that is okay this is not nope (laughs) and then he doesn't call her venus he doesn't call her aphrodite he doesn't call her anything that like a contemporary audience could could try try very hard to no olympia who the fuck is olympia (laughs) olympia is actually a name that was used by the sex workers of the time yeah. Which makes it even more preposterous. <laughs> I know. It's like, who are and then and then there are other things that like are those symbols of um of the the scandalous woman. The 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 fact that she's got jewelry on, for example. She's got very expensive mm-hmm. the pearl necklace yeah. and the pearl earrings that she has on are opulent. They're these they're expensive and pretty her bracelet looks like it's made of gold she's got this very beautiful silk robe underneath her her shoes look like they're satin and silk like she's got girls got money but then why is she naked (laughs) and who is this sir and i (laughs) and then she's got this angry looking cat and i mean like waggles eyebrows and she's a redhead so she's already like falling under this category of the seductress and she's already this like femme fatale before the femme fatale was really like a thing finalized yeah well yeah and um and then she has this uh, and then she has this black servant this this um and we read a fantastic article that kind of like broke down the the problematic nature of framing the the white sex worker against the black servant yeah and even just like the contrast of femininity and the contrast of what is sexual and what is uh what was the word um not infertile uh was it castrated yeah eunuch yeah the eunuch Uh, (laughs) and that concept of like um what is what is supposed to be comforting the black servant and what is supposed to be erotic the white sex worker yeah or the white nude i guess and it's and it's it's a tough dynamic because it's an obvious dynamic especially in this piece because you have the black servant presenting these flowers adorning the white nude and that even is a complicated and i'm not and and it was obviously intentional because men ain't put that there yeah but we don't like but that is that is the complicated thing because um this was created, Olympia was created 15 years after racial slavery had been abolished in France. 
Yes. But like these racist caricatures and these stereotypes had continued into the the modern contemporary. Yeah. And you know, this is like continuing <laughs> this is continuing the the concept of like what is feminine and what is not. Yeah, because you um uh presumably look at this a black servant and look at this uh, white uh, sex worker and you see someone who is very sexualized and very feminine and very well like provoking and uh, seductive and then you see uh, kind of as her opposite because even like in colors it's white against uh, black and it's uh, completely opposite because you see this uh, as a uh, wait I, I will read you a quote because I think this is uh, this basically sums up what I want to say from this article yeah. uh, called Olympia's Mind Reclaiming Black Fem- Bl- Black Female Subjectivity by uh, Lorraine O'Grady's, O'Grady uh, she says uh, and I quote she is the chaos that must be excited and it is her excision that stabilizes the west's construct of the female body of the femininity of the white female body is ensured by assigning the non-white to a chaos safety removed from sight yeah Uh, and that's creates that contrast and uh it is uh, it has been a topic of discussion recently uh of if this was uh if this representation of a black person is racist and if the the sex workers uh body language is racist and it's it's been uh talked about a bunch recently and And yet even in like art history classes we don't really acknowledge it it's something that like scholars are really bringing up but if you go into your intro to art history one and you're introduced to this painting well is it intro to art history one or two that you start talking about impressionists probably two probably two anyways if you're in your intro basics like you don't talk about the depiction the racial depictions in this painting you talk about like oh yeah hot naked chick who's grabbing her crotch whoa (laughs) anyways moving on and you're like wait what but what about what about the maid what about the servant figure what about the depictions of racism and it's like well anyways (laughs) hang on We don't have the time to talk about no. racial depictions of women, but uh. it's it's essential um, because this does fuel like. I mean, <laughs> I mean, it's just it's like this time period is when you have to look at what the black body is represented as, and in this painting, it as it is as like the secondary character to this white woman's stage. And while the white woman is rejected by society, by extension, then so is her servant. And so it continues like this notion of, oh, well, of course, this dirty girl of a, of a sex worker is being 
serviced by a black maid because only a black maid da, 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 da. And, and it's frustrating and it's upsetting and it's it's important to note like these are things that Manet is also trying to represent in yeah. depicting like the reality quote unquote the reality of it all and and it's really taken to like feminist literature and feminist critique theory to really bring this out um which I think you know comes with understanding what you're looking at from like a more modernist perspective that um, contemporary audiences who saw this painting couldn't wrap their minds around Mm -hmm. because they were just mostly taken aback by like the new and not the status quo. And the status quo is the, the supporting character being the nameless, faceless, obscure. (laughs) It's, it's frustrating. (laughs) <laughs> but she she does have a name. This is she does have a name. She does yeah. have a name. She is an uh mo- the model who wait hold on the person who modeled <laughs> for yes. uh Manet uh was called Laura, but that was all I could find about her. Um yeah, but at least she has a name. <laughs> Exactly, but like a bit more than versus Olympia, (laughs) named in the painting, named by the painting, um, because then you're only focusing on who you think would be Olympia, and it's obviously not the maid. It has to be the girl. But what if it's not the girl? And what if it is the maid? That would be very cool. That would be you know. very cool. It's, it's, it's a good discussion to have, actually. <laughs> Who do you <laughs> think in this painting is? <laughs> Who is Olympia? Um, I don't know. It's just it's interesting because, like, obviously, <laughs> smiley face, this painting was rejected, like, was, was approved by the Academy to be shown in the Salon, but it was rejected by critics. And even, like... Um, Manet wrote to Baudelaire and was like, I've never had such a reception. Yeah. Insults <laughs> rain down on me like hailstones. Yeah, Aww. buddy. <laughs> <laughs> and I think it caught him by surprise. Yeah. Because I didn't of the think fact that none of his works it. had been so detested before. Yeah, exactly. I don't know. It's it's interesting to think about from like the from the from the painter perspective of it because it's like well why did you create this <laughs> why, why is, this buddy yeah why this person why does it look like this why is it so two-dimensional no shadows it still looks like the studio lighting and yes uh, i've seen talks of her hands and her feet being very like darkened and that those are the ones that have the the uh shadows on them while the rest of her body is completely white and there's like uh caricatures uh, of this painting made later on by different people where the the figure of uh the nude has her hands and feet black entirely yeah and yeah it's it and then some people thought that those shadows were actually body hair 
and how could a nude have body hair like <laughs> under her armpits or on her navel yeah um or on her legs how even? dare she how dare she and that even removes the concept of the nude like the allegorical nude because it's like well up until now your nude woman had no body hair she was the perfect woman because she had nothing to do with an actual normal woman yeah <laughs> basically <laughs> she was not her her facial complexion wasn't spotty and and rough to look at. She wasn't making any direct eye contact with you. She had no body hair. Her body was warm and inviting while also being coy and, you know, yeah. hidden but tastefully and then you have Olympia. <laughs> and her her body is not perfect. Her face is not perfect. It's asymmetrical. It, she is a real person. She is a real person. And that's and her that's... biggest that's her biggest sin. Yeah. How dare she? <laughs> How dare she? How dare you, Mane? How dare she? <laughs> and that like the things that we're harping on are things that we can talk about from like a a distant perspective because of the fact that like we've seen this and more in in art now and even like in digital media and even in like capitalism yeah. you know it's it's not a difficult thing to look at and be like oh yeah cool all right but <laughs> but this is a this is still a very religious and very conservative society you know yeah and and for it to be in the the the, the hallowed halls of what is supposed to be good art capital g capital a trademark <laughs> good art what is she doing here i think was what more critics were concerned about not why does she exist because goya has um has a very similar nude to mm. this of uh, the um oh i can't remember her name right now but essentially like the lounging figure that has a uh, two versions one where she's fully dressed and where, she, where she's fully nude hmm. and like okay those were made for private consumption wink wonk <laughs> but yeah. it existed in the world and that's fine and no one was upset with the fact that it existed but where people were really concerned was what is she doing here in this room with us right now yeah my oh, wife yeah. is here god damn it <laughs> <laughs> covers her eyes Look away, honey. Don't get any ideas. <laughs> it's, just, it's like, I'm sorry. Ridiculous. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Honest it's to God. Ridiculous. I can't. And, and then it's what people really wanted to, like, plague him for. And therefore, every... But he caught... He caught people's attention. These were he the sure works. Did. The the gar the the luncheon on the garden and Olympia are probably two of the most famous Manet paintings. Not because they're in famous galleries, because that's part of it, but because of the fact that like they upset people, and they upset people so much that people couldn't stop talking about it. And so every time Manet created work, people kept looking at it. Because what is he going to do next? 
what upsetting thing is he going to do now? The thing is, uh, both of these paintings are in Musée d'Orsay. Mm-hmm. And I've, I do not remember, the, because I've been there, but I, I don't remember the luncheon, but I very vividly remember Olympia. You can't forget her. It's it's huge. Yeah, that's it's, also the thing. These aren't it's small so big. Paintings. No, these aren't small paintings, y'all. Like Dejanir Celeb, your your eye contact. She is at eye level, but also it's a big fucking canvas. And then it's Olympia really big. is also a big canvas. Like it's, I wouldn't say she's life size. I think she might. Well, I think. Uh, well, width-wise, it's it's wider than it's tall. No, for sure. Um, so, because you're really supposed to be like encompassing the bed, but I don't think yeah. she's unless she's like four eleven, I like IRL. <laughs> I don't think it's life size, but it's big. It's is quite what we're saying. big, yes. And so, not only are you staring at like her eyes making direct eye contact with you again. With a resting bitch face. <laughs> but then fully nude. Uh, <laughs> and it's captivating when you it look is, at it. it is, I just stood there in is. front of it for like... <sighs> it's voyeurism at its finest, I yeah. think, is also what's so upsetting about it. It's like, you can't tell if she's the exhibitionist or if you're the voyeur. If she's the pervert or if you are. Are you uh, is she looking at me as an artwork or am I looking at her as an yeah. artwork? Yeah. I what mean is going there's so on? many paintings that are like this that you just are kind of like and that's kind of what this that's part of the reason why people think that he's the founder, the father of impressionism and of the avant-garde and all this yeah. other stuff. When he's not. But mm, not really. Not really. Not not in the way that people like that a contemporary art historical audience kind of wants to uh, like what museums want you to believe that he is. Yeah. Because because like I said earlier, nothing he ever did was quick and easygoing. He planned everything meticulously to the point where you were not supposed to think that he did it quick like meticulously. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, a lazy perfectionist, but a perfectionist nonetheless. I wouldn't say he's lazy. I wouldn't say that he's lazy at all. But he wanted you to think that he was. He wanted yeah. you to think that, like, oh, yeah, I just <laughs> painted it this afternoon. No big deal. But uh, He's such a loser. He, I love him. He wasn't, like, he didn't have the same artistic goals as the impressionists. No. She, he didn't want to be a part of them at all. No, he didn't even he didn't show at the first impressionist like exhi- like exhibit for a reason. He didn't view his work like theirs. Yeah. And they like Monet gives just like a description of like Manet furiously worked and reworked and erased and repainted and you know like that was that was his style. He really wanted you to think that he was doing it effortlessly when he wasn't. And if you ever get the chance so to like, cute. it's so cute. I love him so much. Yeah. <laughs> if you ever get the chance to see these works in person, I would really spend some time looking at like the fine details of it all. 
Um, and not just like these works, because who's going to France any anytime soon? But if you <laughs> if you can like, if one of your local museums or a museum close enough to you has a Manet painting, I would go and check it out when you can, because like all of his works are so deceptively nonchalant that it makes you want to see where where he like fucks up and where he like shows his hand and where you like oh it's so I love Manet I love Manet so much he is he um, is great yeah uh, he died at 51 too he did he died quite Man- young yeah um and I mean like we could talk about Manet for ever but I think these two paintings really encapsulate like who he was and who he like what his what his mission was with painting yeah in a way that um no other artist of this time could do so successfully i think he um should we still talk about a bit after what he did after this yeah uh, so he went to Spain, but he didn't like it. And How dare he? He, <laughs> he came back real quick. Apparently, he didn't like the food. Also, how dare he? Which is <laughs> Spanish food is great. What are you talking Spanish about? Damn thing. He also didn't speak Spanish. Yeah, which yeah. Is tough. I don't speak Dutch yet. Yet. But you don't see me running away from here. Yeah, Yet. but like <laughs> Spain is also really tough because even now it's really hard to find anything that's like not purely Spanish spoken. But like, it's it's right it's so similar to English. No, <sighs> Dutch or Spanish? What? 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 I meant Spanish. Well, just because French and Spanish are similar, it doesn't mean that French and Spanish actually share anything in common. No, like, Romance language, sure. But um, the way you pronounce French words and the way that you pronounce Spanish words are completely different. Yeah, yeah of course. If he went to Madrid, he'd have no chance in hell because they'd immediately flag <laughs> him as an outsider. If he stayed up near Barcelona, at least he'd have Catalan to like lean against. And Catalan is more similar to French than it is Spanish, but it's more Spanish than it is French. And it's also got Italian somewhere. Okay. But he didn't. He went south. <laughs> Sounds complicated. God. That's where my family's from, too. So it's like, well, <laughs> good luck. Um, Break a leg. And and the Spanish court was also way more uptight than, like, the Parisian center, which is funny to think about. But, like... But it wasn't fun and lackadaisical. It wasn't like this sexy, fun, adventurous place. This was like really uptight Catholic culture with drinking. Was it Spanish Inquisition time? Also, what? When was Spanish Inquisition again? Uh, if you're being technically speaking, it's still going on. Um, <laughs> but the first, like, so, so the Spanish Inquisition was really rampant during the 18th, 19th century. So turn of the yeah, century so for about sure. about that time. <laughs> but um, Goya 
draw like Goya does a lot of work surrounding the Spanish Inquisition because it technically doesn't end until the 19 1900s Hmm. Um, and then Franco does a version of the Spanish Inquisition okay so it's kind of like um there was no Inquisition immediately after the the Reconquista Hmm. But in the 1500s, um, Charles V, the grandson of the um, of Ferdinand and Isabella, mm-hmm. he expels the Jews and expels the Arabs and expels everyone who's not Catholic and or murders <laughs> and or converts and or and that's like the first wave of the Recon- of the Inquisition. Yeah. Grand Inquisitor. Grand Inquisitor. Um, every time I think of the Spanish Inquisition, I think of Goya and I think of um, Mel Gibson's uh, History of the World, Part 1. Yes. <laughs> the Inquisition. What a show. The Inquisition. Here we oh, go. Good. Anyways. But, uh, <laughs> but that's like this period. So, so you go from like... You go from enlightened France and they had gone through that song and dance and they're all wise and oh my god the enlightenment look at us we're so smart and we're so sciencey and then you go to Spain and it's like who the fuck are these backwards people and why do they think witches are going to come for their livestock (laughs) what's happening why are they praying to a god that will not listen to them what is going on on (laughs) like and that's the problem with spain or that was like the main issue with spain at the time is that they were very 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 religious yeah well yeah no maybe that's what drove them off (laughs) (laughs) maybe um and he wasn't i mean he wasn't as received in spain as he was in um as in france yeah namely because he couldn't speak spanish so no yeah. one really understood what he was saying. Nope. <laughs> there's a lot of hand gesturing and there's a lot of speaking at and speaking <laughs> over and it's just it's a nightmare. <laughs> it's a nightmare. Ugh. Um but um but when he came back to France, he did show in um the Universal Exposition in 1867. No, or he did he, he, he didn't. Rejected from that? He was rejected. He he was rejected, and then like Corbet had done that year oh. and the year before, he made his own like uh, stall corner where he put up like fifty of his paintings. Yes, that's um, right. Yeah, and like it was right next to the street. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right next to the place. Um, oh man. Yeah, but despite so many people disliking him, uh, there was one who thought he was great, and it was Zola. Yeah, Emily Zola, <laughs> who was um, a young novelist at the time, as they all are. Yes, and he spoke very highly of Manet, and he thought his work was very good, and that he stayed close to nature. 
and uh, how he observed nature and uh, ignored or like set aside the science and the experience of it. And yes. uh, with the kind words that he said, because of the kind words that he said about Manet, he uh, painted a picture of uh, a portrait of Sola. Which was shown at the salon, uh, in <laughs> next year. Yeah. Yes. Uh, and in this. All right. All right. One this, painting. <laughs> yeah. And in this painting, uh, is actually, uh, I really like this part where it's Zola. He's sitting at a table, and on the uh, wall next to him, behind him for us, is uh, our pictures of like his research and stuff like that and also a picture of um Olympia the painting mm -hmm. but she is not looking at us as she is in the original painting but she is looking at Zola yeah and I think that's so cute <laughs> no I love it I love it it's very adorable. very much it's so it shows how how uh, grateful Manet was for Sola's words, and I think that's lovely. Um, they were such bros. <laughs> yeah, they were. Um, <laughs> another person that uh, Manet was close to was uh, Berth Morisot, who yep. he met in the Louvre, and he painted a bunch of portraits of her. And later she ended up marrying his uh, brother, Eugene Manet. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> uh, afterwards, he took part in the Fra Franco-German War. And he served as You know, the, as we all do. Yeah, as one does. <laughs> as one does. Uh, and he served as a staff lieutenant uh, in the National Guard. And he went. He left uh, uh, the. He left the army to join his family, uh, and when he returned to Paris, his salon was, uh, uh, or his studio was destroyed. Yeah. But he had thought of this <laughs> and stored his painting somewhere else, so they were damaged. And when I read this, I was like, "Ooh, thank God." <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's the thing, right? Is like, so, so he joins the National Guard. He leaves for the Franco-German War. He serves; it's great. And then when he leaves to go, you know, escape with his family to the south, there was a rebel, like a part of a faction of this, like something called the Commune, broke out in Paris, and they just ransacked everything as you were wont to do in Paris. Yeah. And so that was like that was part of it. Is that his studio was destroyed? A couple other like priceless monuments were also destroyed during this time because mm. why not um, where were like, the monuments men <laughs> honestly honestly <laughs> but um but because of the fact that like he was able to save his art that kind of helped him in the long run um because like because his work and studio was destroyed and as anyone who has tried to set up a studio of any kind knows that that's not cheap yep um he was able to sell a lot of his works, like, what was it, 24, 25 yeah. works? Yeah. To an art dealer who paid, oh, 
50,000 francs at the time, which is a lot of money, probably. Probably. But it was 24 paintings or 25. (laughs) Oh, Manet paintings. Yeah. So, (laughs) go off, I guess. I mean, (laughs) homeboy had to travel. He then, like, you know, but he's, he's wildly inspired and he is still, um, oh man, he's, at this point, I think he's sick, right? Um, well, first he goes traveling a bit and then he hangs out with, uh, Monet for a bit. He spends the summer with Monet one of these years. Yeah. yeah, and he paints him, and which are uh, quite impressionistic. If 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 you say any of his his works are impressionistic, it's the it's the ones he painted when he was with Monet, um, the king of impressionism. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and after that, yeah, he slowly starts uh, deteriorating. He has. Uh, gangrene in his leg and it's syphilis uh, yeah that developed to the point that it was so and I mean so like like all good STDs we have the modern medicine to take care of that but like this is a pre pre pre-antibiotics type of environment so very smelly smelly France (laughs) so like Homeboy, for the last three-ish years of his life, his leg just did not work. Nope. Um, he'd have to drag it behind him, and it was it was very, very upsetting to him because he couldn't. Um, I read so there was this um there was this study done on his works, especially like his later oil paintings before he moved mm-hmm. into watercolors and oil pastels, where you have these figures in front of this really pretty garden scene mm-hmm. but the garden scene doesn't match like what the what the sitter is wearing like if the sitter is wearing winter clothing it's a spring background mm-hmm. and for a long time people couldn't understand why that was mm-hmm. but it turns out that it was this sitter sitting in front of one of his paintings as like a stage backdrop Because he couldn't actually go to cafes anymore. And so this plunder, outdoorsy vibe that he was trying to give off had to be translated into like, all right, well, what can I do in my studio to make you feel like, okay, I can just paint you in front of a really summery painting. Mm. Yay. It's like, oh. And then when he had his leg amputated, it just did yeah. not did not help. No, uh, he died soon after that fact. That's like our homegirl, Frida. Yeah. Yeah. Once you're bedridden, you know. Yeah. <laughs> um, um. But yeah, it's just it's sad. <laughs> <laughs> it is sad. But he left us with so many amazing works. Yeah. Um. And like, you know, like all good art, his work was celebrated more after his death than course. during his lifetime. People finally came around and they were like, okay, maybe this guy was on to something. Yeah. Um, his final exhibit that happened like post-mortem 
um, Zola wrote the preface to the catalog that was like a celebration to Manet saying like this was his work this is what he did this is why you should care about my my dear friend and it's like oh stop it I'm gonna cry (laughs) (laughs) um well yeah it's just it's so he's so much it's it's really one of the most important like he is probably one of the most important artists to the avant-garde yeah because so many artists saw what he did and maybe not his style but what he was trying to challenge and the characters that he was trying to portray and the modern environments that he was trying to like demonstrate and saying that this is what we should be celebrating not the past but the present yeah not the future but the present we are focused and here we are here we are (laughs) oh man one of my favorite quotes um that i've read during this research um is by renoir Mm-hmm. And he said this to his son. He said, uh, Manet was as important to us as Cimabue and Giotto were for the painters of the Italian Renaissance. And, and that's so, so sweet. Aww. And um, yeah, he was uh, exceptional and he was a revolutionary and to us he might his works might seem very regular because we've been exposed to so many after him so many different works that are that he could never have even imagined but like he said that uh he was convinced that 100 years from now people would be more intelligent and that they would know how to see and appreciate real art and in other exactly. words, his own paintings and that of the Impressionists. <laughs> yeah. All right. It's time to have a sexy garden party. Let's go. Let's go. But we're not allowed <laughs> outside. <laughs> Social distancing, kids. Don't get that close. <laughs> Shout at each other from across parks. Uh, when in doubt, titty out, I think is the moral of this story. My mom has started hanging out with her friends in, um, in the park. And they <gasps> gather and just like stand very far away from each other and just talk to each other. Aww. And it's so cute. Mom. Yeah. <laughs> uh. oh, yeah. Man. Our apartment complex has like... um. We're mostly old people because it's Florida mm. and uh, they have Monday socials where everyone comes out to their like front doors Aww. and they wave Aww. and shout at their friends. That's cute. It's kind of cute. It's cute. <laughs> it's cheesy, but it's cute. <sighs> much like all of this. Elena, thank you so much for doing this with me. You too. This was amazing. I love this episode already. <laughs> I love him. I love you. This yes, is fun. It was so much I fun. I love everyone listening. Thank you guys so much for joining us for 10 episodes. Yep. Wild. A milestone. <laughs> milestone. Uh, you can follow us 
on social media, probably, yep. allegedly. <laughs> allegedly. At BYW Art Pod on Instagram. And BYW Art Pod at Twitter. And you can email us at BYWArtPod at gmail.com. Yep. We uh, hope you guys are doing well and staying safe. And let us know what you're doing, what you're up to, how you're feeling, what art is keeping you sane. If yeah. you've done an art challenge yet, <laughs> should we? <laughs> should I? At this point, <laughs> oh, I found my crocheting uh, thingy, and now Ooh. I can <laughs> now I can uh, remind myself how to crochet. <laughs> Stick needle in, pull yarn through, yes. stick needle through, pull yarn through. Yeah. <laughs> That's about it, right? About it. <laughs> you would think I wouldn't forget. I mean, it's like riding a bike, right? I've gotten really into watercolor drawing again, and I don't nice. know if it's because I'm trying to, like, inspire uh, a great artistic renaissance, or if I'm that board <laughs> i'm going with the former but you never know yeah yeah let's go with the former <laughs> yeah 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 wait for my solo exhibition in seven years guys it'll yeah. be wild <laughs> <sighs> all right okay have a nice all day right. you guys <laughs> stay safe wash your hands wash your stay hands inside. don't touch your face don't touch your face <laughs> all right we'll figure out an outro we love you yep Love you. Bye. Bye.